The mysterious witness with information about Biden family corruption resurfaces with a video from an undisclosed location. A new research paper on a possible link between COVID vaccinations and death is made public and then withdrawn in less than 24 hours. Ben and Jerry's hypocritical July 4th message gives way to history. And why does a new book say it's time for us to get outside and get away from ourselves? This is Truth and Culture and Politics with Dr. Tony Beam. You know what time it is. It's time to crank it up. everybody. For those of you that are listening live, it's good morning. And for those of you that are listening to the podcast, I have no idea what time it is. You'll have to look at your watch because you're listening to a pre-recorded program. <laughs> Boy, I'm telling you what, um, it is exciting when you have to be your own producer. I, I, I don't want to belabor this point, and I know I've talked about it before, but I'm just fascinated um, by the fact that, you, you know, when you do radio, as long as I did radio, I mean, 22 years, the vast majority of that was the same producer. Um, for those of you who've never experienced that, when you work with somebody that closely, you know what they're going to do, and they know what you're going to do. And it's it makes for a seamless production. I mean, it, it, it's just, it used to amaze me that Gary Miller, who I talked to yesterday, by the way, those of you that are fans of uh, Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam and listened for a lot of years. Um, I, I talked to Gary yesterday. He's he's retired and living in an undisclosed location um, on the coast of South Carolina. And you can figure that out. But anyway, uh, he, uh, you know, he's doing well and uh, enjoying. It seems like he's enjoy, enjoying retirement. We're going to be down at the coast on vacation a couple of weeks with our family, and I'm going to get a chance um, to be able to go and have dinner with him and just catch up, he and his wife. So I'm excited about that. But, I mean, 22 years, um, you, he knows what I'm going to do. He knows what I'm going to say. He knows how I'm going to say it. He knows which songs. I mean, we were able to do this when we had bumper music, you know, in between the segments. He knew exactly which song to pull up that matched any comment that I'd made. I mean, uh, it was it was fascinating. It's almost... Uh, it, it, it's a beautiful machine working, just well-oiled machine working together. And, um, you know, since I've been doing this podcast and online internet show, uh, it's a totally different ballgame. And I mean, I'm sitting here this morning trying to get, if you could see what I'm looking at, and I, I could probably move the camera around, except it's kind of finicky. But, you know, I've got my my podcast board over here, and it's all lit up, and i got all the channels uh, functioning. And I've got my phone over here that is Bluetoothed into the board, and I use it for bringing in actualities and cuts and things like that and doing the theme songs, the intro and the outro. And then over here, I've got my computer, and it's hooked to something, to a program called OBS, which is throwing this program up to YouTube and also Facebook at the same time. And we're working on getting it on some other platforms, by the way. 
Um, but um, it, it's just, you know, I, I looked up and it's, oh my gosh, it's 7.30, which means, you know, I'm supposed to be starting the program. And I got, I, you know, I start hurrying around here because I'm, I'm finishing up research and thinking about what I'm going to talk about. And all of a sudden it's time to hit buttons and get rolling. And, uh, and doing all that by yourself is, uh, wow. I mean, when you have to think about what you're saying, plus think about how to get what you want into the program while you're saying it is, um, is kind of a challenge, you know, and I'm not as young as I used to be. I mean, I, I wouldn't tell anybody that if I were you, but, uh, it's, uh, true. Uh, I'm not 35 anymore. I I'm 65 going on 66. And so, you know, doing some of this stuff, I can do it. It's just, you know, I have to think about it a little bit more. But anyway, we got a great show today. Um, you tuned in on the right day, and and if you're telling people about the show, this I think this might be a good one to tell them about. Now, I, I may have I probably just jinxed the whole thing, okay? But uh, the information we've got today is 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 stunning. A lot of it, and we're going to start with this information about this mysterious witness that has information about corruption in the Biden family. And they just disappeared. You know, I was very skeptical when we heard, I think it was uh, Comer, um, Representative Comer, uh, might have been Jordan, but one of the House representatives that are look, that is looking into the Biden corruption and all the other stuff that the House Oversight Committees are doing, um, you know, they said, well, uh, we just lost our witness. Yeah, it might, I think Senator Grassley made a comment about it too. Oops. You know, I'm thinking... How, how do you lose a witness? Somebody comes forward and they have blockbuster information. I mean, if, if, if the information that Dr. Gall Luft is bringing forward, if it's true, if it can be corroborated, if we can ever get to see it, uh, I think it would be a game changer. But we, he disappeared. And I made this statement then on the podcast. I said, you know, Republicans have been down this road so many times. Conservatives have been told so many times, okay, we've got the goods. We, we've, we know what's going on here. We've got a witness that's going to, and then nothing ever comes of it. I mean, you could go back and talk about Benghazi and go back and talk about the IRS scandal when it was obvious that the IRS was being weaponized. You know, we think the weaponization of government, some people do, is kind of a recent phenomenon. Let's go back to the Obama administration and remember that the IRS was used to, and, and we know this for a fact. I mean, this is not a conspiracy theory. It's not something that hasn't been proven. The IRS was used to um, to keep um, nonprofits from being able to get the status that they needed to participate in the election in in 2012. I mean, all the way back to then. And so, you know, it, it's we know that this kind of stuff is going on and has been going on, but we can't ever get the goods. We can't, the, the, you know, Lois Lerner, who was the head of the IRS at the time, was able to just kind of slip away, you know, just retire, golden parachute, and nothing ever, ever else was said or done about it. Uh, no accountability. There, there was just, and, and it's very frustrating. So I, I don't want us to get our hopes up here. I mean, I, I don't think that uh, this is something that we need to just go, <gasps> we've got it, we got it, we got it. We, we, we've always got it, and we never have it. And that's the frustration of being a conservative right now. 
All right, uh, Dr. Gall Luft. Okay, who is this guy? First of all, he's the witness. Uh, he's a former lieutenant colonel in the Israeli Defense Forces, and he became a respected expert in energy security. That That's kind of his field of expertise. He talks about how to keep safe our energy supplies and how to make sure that those we have enough energy to supply what we need for business and family and everything else going forward. He has a doctorate in strategic studies from Johns Hopkins, and he's the author of books on energy and security and the international monetary system. You know, when you think about it, energy is linked very closely to national security, because if we have to, to, depend, to depend on our enemies for our energy, energy sources, uh, that puts us in a bad place. All they have to do if they want to come after us or if they decide they, don't, they want to be really nasty, I mean, they can cut off our energy supply. Uh, that's one of the things that President Trump did while he was president that was so good. President Trump did a lot of good things, and one of them was really leaning into domestic production of energy to the point that we became not only energy independent, at least on paper, um, but we were an exporter of energy, which was just incredible considering what everybody was telling us for years prior to that is that we're going to be dependent on energy from around the world for the rest of our history. And I think President Trump proved that that's not so. We still get energy from other countries, but it's, it's if we could, if necessary, I mean, some of that is part of the geopolitical relationships that we have, that we don't want to cut off being a customer to some countries because what it would, it would destabilize those countries. Um, and, and also there's an advantage to being out there in the market and with our ability of buying and, and, and selling, having a way of sort of controlling energy prices, or at least speaking into that process in a meaningful way. So energy and security, our national security rests on our ability to make sure that we keep the energy grid, the electric grid in this country up and running, that we have enough uh, energy to power our military, our vehicles, our uh, civilian vehicles, everything. I mean, our, our economy operates off of plentiful sources of energy, and so our economic security, as well as our military security, our national security, is deeply tied to energy sources. And this, this Gal Luft is a guy who's sort of an expert at pointing all of this out. He's currently serving as the co-director for the Institute of the Analysis of Global Security, which is a Washington think tank that focuses on energy security and economic trends. Now, According to Luft, in February, uh, the DOJ arrested him in Cyprus, and the, the, he was able to escape some way, uh, somehow, and now he's hiding in an undisclosed location. Uh, obviously, if the, if the government of the United States is looking for you, uh, you're not going to be telling too many people where you are. He's charged, if this was a Star Wars um, uh, episode, he'd be in the Outer Rim. Star Wars fans, Star Wars fans will understand that. Uh, hiding somewhere where it's difficult to be located. Uh, he's charged with arms dealing, acting as an unregistered foreign agent, and of course, the ever-present and always present, lying to the FBI. I mean, that's uh, that's going to be thrown in it, when, when you're looking for the truckload of charges that they're going to bring against somebody. 
lying to the FBI is going to be in there somewhere. He released a video, though, to New York po- to the New York Post Miranda Devine claiming that he's being pursued by the DOJ, that he and his family are being harassed, and that he was being intimidated in an effort to cover up Biden family corruption related to China and business dealings with an energy company in China. And to hear him on this video, I mean, it's a, it's it, it's very it's compelling in that just just what he's been through and the information that he provided and why he believes that he's being prosecuted. Here's here's what he had to say on the video. My ordeal goes back to uh, a fatal decision I made in March of 2019 to share with the U.S. government my knowledge about the Biden family's relations with CFC. As I said, it was in March of 2019 in a two-day session at the U.S. Embassy in Brussels. I insisted that the meeting take place in March because at the time there were rumors that Joe Biden was planning to run for president. I saw it as my civic duty to alert the government beforehand and give it enough time to probe the issue. I want to be clear. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I have no political motive or agenda. I did it out of deep concern that if the Bidens were to come to power, the country would be facing the same traumatic Russia collusion scandal, only this time with China. Sadly, because of the DOJ's uh, cover-up, this is exactly what happened. The DOJ sent to Brussels a delegation of six um, people, two prosecutors from the Southern District of New York, by the names of Daniel Reichenthal and Catherine Ghosh, and four FBI agents. One of them was Special Agent Joshua Wilson from the Baltimore field office, which also happens to cover the state of Delaware. So there's the story. I mean, that what what an incredible story this guy has about meeting with six representatives from the Justice Department in Brussels and then never hearing from them again. And, and by the way, Luft goes on to say, he said he gave the DOJ everything that they would need to build a case against the Bidens, including dates, names, and exact figures of how much money was changing hands between China and the Bidens and the energy companies that the Bidens were working with at the time. He said the information he provided was later corroborated by information found on Hunter Biden's laptop. Now, if you think about it, Let's stop right there for a minute. Let's imagine, you know, all of this happened. This meeting in Brussels took place months, several months before President Biden announced that he was going to run for president uh, at the time. Senator, Vice President Biden said that he was going to run. And so think about the fact that the Department of Justice knew that there was a guy who was credible. I mean, at least from his resume, I mean— He's, he's done a lot of things that would suggest that he would understand the evidence that he was looking at and that he, he would have access to it and be able to keep, you know, collect it and have it to present to the DOJ. So the Justice Department knows this guy's out there. So they just totally ignore him. They let, you know, Biden goes ahead, announces his run for president. We go through the campaign. Biden is elected, uh, and or depending on your point of view, and then he 
at, at his, we go through, what, two and a half years of his presidency or more, and all of a sudden, this information is coming out. Now, in the meantime, at the same time, or at least right before the election, we find this computer in the Delaware compare, repair shop that belongs to Hunter Biden, and there's information on that computer that corroborates some of what Luft is saying. And so what happens? Luft's testimony, the information that he gave to the DOJ, we don't know what it is. We, we don't even know what he's, we know what the indictments uh, that Luft says he's being indicted for, but we can't even corroborate that because the Justice Department won't release a copy of the indictment, which would tell us what the evidence is that is against him. Now, they may be forced to do that now. Or they may continue just to tell us to go pound sand. I mean, the Justice Department doesn't seem to have a, a particularly difficult time telling the American people to eat static when it comes to information that we would think we'd be entitled to in a situation like this. So the, the, the DOJ's got names, dates, amounts, the laptop surfaces, it corroborates this, and all of a sudden, the laptop is nothing but Russian disinformation, Russian disinformation. And it gets buried until way after the election, and then we find out that it was not Russian disinformation. It was all true, and it's all been verified. So the government lied to us as the American people and allowed us to make a decision about who the next president of the United States was going to be when all this information would definitely have would have had an impact on the election, and I, you know, it, it doesn't take a genius to sit down and go, okay, that's why all of this was suppressed. Now it could be it could be true because we don't know the extent of it that it could have been suppressed because it would implicate other people in high places. But certainly the Bidens and and Vice President uh, Joe Biden during his time as Vice President. His activity would have been called into serious question with the, the things that he did with his son to profit and his family profited under the table uh, during his vice presidency and maybe throughout his entire life. That would have had an impact on the 2020 election result, no question. In fact, polls have been done that suggest that in these close swing states that Biden won or whatever, I know a lot of people listening to me probably uh, believe that that uh, Biden stole those states, but let, let's, we've adjudicated that in court and been through the whole thing. But these states that Biden won, um, that a lot of people in those swing states would not have voted for, for him had they known about the information on the laptop that it was legitimate, and certainly if they had known that there was an ex-lieutenant colonel in the Israeli Defense Force who was well-respected in the community that had a boatload of information that corroborated the information that was on the laptop. That would definitely have made a difference. Now, uh, Luft went on to say that the information he provided, as, as we said, was corroborated by the discovery of the laptop, but that after the Brussels meeting referred to by Luft the DOJ cut off all communication with him, um, just basically static. They, they wouldn't talk to him. They wouldn't respond to any inquiries. They never reached out to him again. The, la the next time he heard from the DOJ, according to Luft, was when he found out that he was indicted and that he was being charged 
with being an arms dealer. Um, he was charged with lying, all, all the things that were in the indictment. I mean, it could get him up to 100 years in prison. So this means de depending on the reliability of Luff's information, then the Justice Department obviously knew about all of the possibility of corruption in the Biden family months before Joe Biden announced his run for the White House. So how credible is this guy? Uh, can anything that he's saying be backed up by the evidence? Uh, there's some parts of his story already that check out. Miranda Devine went, not only published the video at the New York Post, but she published a copy of the letter from U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Berman to Luff's attorney working out the details of the meeting in Brussels. So we know that there was, a, there was going to be a meeting in Brussels. I mean, I, one of the things that I try to do is not say more than what we know for sure. We don't know that the meeting actually took place. We can assume that it did because there's, as, as I said, evidence that details of the meeting was being worked out. Luft admits that there was a meeting um, we don't, and gives details about it, about the content, how long they met, who was there. You, you heard all that just a few minutes ago from Luft himself. And so you would have to say that the preponderance of evidence at the moment points to the fact that there was a meeting in Brussels. We don't have um, any eyewitnesses except for Luft. Um, nobody else has come forward, but we have to assume that the evidence that we, well, we don't have to assume, we can say that the evidence is strong that a meeting took place. But the $64,000 question is, can the charges against him be proven? Luft says they can't be proven, that he never trafficked so much as a single bullet. He says he's being maliciously prosecuted to keep him silent and to discredit the evidence that he brought forward. Um, and like I said earlier, indictment's not been made public. So for right now, there's no way to determine the validity of the charges. But it is kind of convenient for the DOJ to have left under indictment. Because for a lot of reasons. First of all, it allows them, as we said, to discredit him as a witness, but it also, and I think this is the main point, it allows them to keep documents from being made public to Congress or to anybody else by claiming that they're part of an ongoing investigation. I mean, they can get gag orders. They can say, I mean, the FBI has a lot of power. If they want to cover something up, they can flat cover it up. Um, and they have a lot of tools in the toolbox to be able to accomplish that. So Luff says that he decided that to come forward. I mean, I, he, well, actually, actually, after the Brussels meeting, he thought, you know, I'm just going to have to let this go. Um, I, they're not talking to me. They're not, it looks like they're not willing to talk. But he says that he and his family have been harassed uh, and intimidated and uh, since that meeting. And the fact that he's been indicted has forced him to come forward at this time. Over the past four years that followed, me, my family, my friends, my associates, we were all harassed, intimidated, and finally, I was prosecuted. So it was the prosecution that kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Um, he decided there's nothing else to do but to come forward. So getting, getting Luff's testimony, I mean, this is the guy that was going to come in, testify before the oversight committee, House Oversight Committee. Um, it's going to be a little tricky 
if he's hiding from the Justice Department. Um, it's it, it might be possible for staffers, if he was willing to trust some staffers associated with House oversight, some of the staff members could visit him wherever he's hiding. And it's also possible he could share the documents with the committee by third-party intermediaries. I mean, he might be able to, to get the documents um, through somebody else to get them to the congressional committees or to make them public. We don't know what's going to happen, but this is a story that we're definitely going to keep our eye on because this is, I mean, this is incredible stuff here. Like, I mean, the, the, the weight of information that's coming forward from reputable sources, people that are whistleblowers, FBI, IRS whistleblowers, coming forward and talking about the chain of corruption that has protected Joe Biden almost since he's been in office and certainly in the years that he was vice president and maybe going on now until the time of his presidency, um, all of this, when you stack it up, is enough for a special prosecutor. But don't hold your breath for that either, obviously, while Biden is still President Biden is still in office. I I want to say that, you know, this is all going to culminate with Biden being impeached, uh, removed from office, that the evidence gonna is gonna become overwhelming. I have no idea if that's actually true, but I, I don't want everybody to hang their hat on this. I want us to to assume that this election is gonna go down to going to the polls and voting. I mean, it's it, you know, there's so many things that could affect the outcome of the 2024 election. The economy could affect it. Uh, war breaking out somewhere could affect it. Um, peace breaking out in Afghanistan could affect it. I mean, there's so, so many things. And for us to, you know, it, it's easy for us as conservatives. Again, like I said at the beginning, I want to get excited about this. I believe the Biden family is corrupt. I don't think you set up 20 shell companies plus, that's just 20 that we know of, to move money around, and that money being, be, has, been, has been able to be traced to nine different Biden family members. I just don't think you do that if you're doing something that's above board. I mean, common sense. We've, we've been given the ability to think and reason and to take information and sift through it and come to decisions, but... It's, it, that's one thing for us as the public to do. It's another thing for the Justice Department to hold people accountable for what appears to be common sense. Um, I, I, I think what we need to do is focus on winning the election. If, if we want to see change, we're going to have to have different leadership. The Biden administration is piling on regulations on the trucking industry, on the energy industry, on all these industries trying to force this global warming agenda, climate change agenda, um, by putting these heavy regulations in places in the business community that's going to force us into recession. Now, we just got the report on jobs. Um, I don't have the report in front of me, so but I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to round it off and say there were 350,000 jobs created. It could have been a little bit less, could have been more um, in last month, according to the numbers. Now, you know, what's interesting about this is that's way more 
than anybody was predicting. Of course, we're talking about pretty much agencies of the federal government and agencies that depend on the federal government for their uh, existence putting out predictions. So maybe they they lowballed it so that this number would overwhelm us. But certainly, um, if from you know again truth and politics and culture from a perspective of what's good for America, it's great that we have that many jobs created in a month. Maybe people are ready to go back to work. Maybe people are uh, getting to the point that they've decided that quitting is not the path. You know, we, we've talked about for a couple of years now, uh, since COVID, that people have just decided, you know, I like being at home. I don't want to go back to work. Uh, I got money from the government. But now, finally, a lot of that money is running out. And they're having to get back to work in order to put food on the table. So people are beginning to get back into the workforce uh, rather than just staying at home and sitting on the couch. So, and, and that's a good thing. But the, the, the thing that we have to focus on is that the overall picture of our economy is still bad. Biden came to South Carolina yesterday. My wife is asking me, why would he come to South Carolina? I mean, there's no way Biden's going to win South Carolina. Well, Biden's concerned about winning South Carolina in a Democrat primary. That's why they moved South Carolina. The Democrats moved South Carolina to the top of the list so that Biden wouldn't get embarrassed in Iowa and New Hampshire that he could start out with a win. You remember last time it took South Carolina to pull Biden's campaign out of the fire, and Representative Clyburn had a lot to do with that, but South Carolina was the state that kind of put Biden on the track to become the presidential nominee. So um, that that's why he's coming to South Carolina. He's got he he's he's got a primary fight. I mean, he's got primary opposition now. Uh, I mean, Kennedy. Um, I I don't know that he's a legitimate threat uh, to Biden. He's he's been polling at around twenty percent, and as long as it stays around twenty percent. Uh, Biden's going to be the nominee. If the Democrat Party decides that Biden's going to be the nominee, they're going to take their superdelegates and make sure that regardless of what people in the state say, that Biden's going to be the nominee. So uh, it's, it, you know, but he came to South Carolina to push Bidenomics, which is this bogus idea that his economic plan has just been incredibly good for the state. And, or for not only for South Carolina, but for the country. Uh, Governor McMaster put out a statement saying, look, South Carolina has, has succeeded essentially because of strong conservative leadership. We've created a lot of jobs. It's a great place to live. Um, the, the kind of statement that you would expect from a Republican conservative governor when you've got a Democrat coming to town. But again, what Governor McMaster said is not false. I mean, the governor has done, and the lieutenant governor have done an excellent job in South Carolina promoting business, making South Carolina a business destination state. And our legislature um, has passed some laws that have been very beneficial to the business climate and the social climate in South Carolina. So those things need to be touted when you've got Biden coming in saying that all the good things that have happened have been because of Bidenomics. Now, he didn't talk about inflation. He didn't talk about what you're paying at the grocery store. He didn't talk about what you pay when you try to go out to eat when you and your spouse or, or you and your family maybe could go out to eat if, you, if, you, if you're paying attention 
it's about double what it was. I mean, I, I, it, it fascinates me uh, to go to some of our favorite restaurants where we look at the bill when we get it and we think, you know, we could have, there was a time uh, before Biden was president and before he, his policies set off this hyperinflation that we've been suffering from, there was a time when we could go out and eat twice for what we're paying for one meal. Um, and of course, energy cost, I mean, all the way around. Gas prices are all over the map. Sometimes they're 320, 324, 329 a gallon. Sometimes it drops down to 304, 305, which is about where it is now. So if, if he wants to talk about Bidenomics and, and tout programs that he says has made America economically strong, we need to look at the result of all of those policies, not the ones that he's trying to campaign on. And I'm hoping that the American people are going to realize that and they're going to look at that um, and, and understand that, you know, we need to go back to the Reagan question. Are you better off than you were four years ago? I don't think there's many people in this country that can say yes. Make it a personal test. Don't forget about the statistics, the number of jobs created, all this stuff that's coming at you. Sit down and think about you personally, you and your family, the people you care about, the, where you work. Are you personally and are the people that are your friends and circle of influencers and your family, are all of them better off with President Biden and Bidenomics? Um, I think this could really, this is a, an open door for Republicans to point out that Bidenomics is a disaster, not a blessing. All right, more COVID information suppressed. I mean, it seems like every day we get up and we find out that there's been more information that's available about COVID until it's not available. In other words, it gets out there and then whoever, um, and I suspect that it's the federal government, decides that that information is not helpful to their narrative or their agenda, then that information gets suppressed. The medical journal Lancet, which is a very prominent medical journal, posted a preprint paper revealing autopsy findings in death after COVID vaccinations on Wednesday. But less than 24 hours later, that paper disappeared. They pulled it. Now, fortunately, it's been archived and downloaded in enough places that they can't just make it disappear completely. And a pre-print paper, research paper, is a paper that's gone through internal controls. That means that the Lancet has its own process before they'll uh, release any kind of research or print any kind of research that's been done. Then they, it goes through a process at the journal. Um, and then there are standards and protocols that it has to pass before it's, it's pre-published. So a, but a pre-print simply means it hasn't been peer-reviewed. A lot of P's in there. Uh, so it hasn't been looked at by the scientific community. Uh, it's early state research papers. But the paper was authored by noted scholars. I mean, we're not talking about um, people that don't have credentials to do the research. Uh, Nicholas Holscher from the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor School of Public Health Yale uh, epidemiologist Dr. Harvey Roche, uh, former health and human services official during the pandemic, Paul E. Alexander, and cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough. I mean, these are four of the researchers that worked on this paper, and there were others, but these are the main, these are the lead four. And according to an archive, archive copy of the paper, there was no outside funding for the research. So this is not some kind of... Um, 
this is not a paper that was generated with an agenda. This is not a paper that had money behind it that you could look at and say, well, sure, it's going to come to this conclusion because look at the people that are paying for it. This is part of their narrative. In, in place of the paper, though, now, and let, remember, published on Wednesday, less than 24 hours later, it was pulled. And this statement was put in its place. This reprint has been removed by reprints with the Lancet because the study's conclusions are not supported by the study methodology, end quote. That's the statement they put up there. That's it. Now, you talk about limited information. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a word salad that means we took it down because we wanted to, and we're not going to tell you why, because that's not a reason. I mean, that it, it, well, it's a reason, but it's a shallow reason offered with no proof or statement of what, their met, what the methodology is supposed to be, no statement about why the paper didn't meet the standards. I mean, it met the standards for 24 hours or a little bit less because the decision was made to put it up there. And I think, it, it, you know, I really believe that what happened is they, they, they put up the paper. They didn't think it was going to generate a whole lot of information, but it started being downloaded. They, they could actually, they can monitor the number of downloads and it was being downloaded at a, an incredible rate. And they decided, okay, we don't want this much attention on this because it could fuel an agenda that we don't like. And this is the thing that drives me crazy about these organizations. Put out the information. If the, if the research is valid, put the research out there and let people make their decision about what it says. In the paper, they say that they, the, the purpose of, of the paper, of this investigation, was to look for possible causal links between COVID vaccine administration and death using autopsies and postmortem analysis. And they, they said, look, it, it, in the paper, they said, we acknowledge that before a conclusion can be drawn, there's going to have to be a lot more research. But the information that we're presenting here is troubling, and it should call for more investigation and research. They reviewed 325 deaths that appeared to be connected with the vaccination. Their analysis revealed of the 325 COVID autopsies they reviewed, nearly 74% were independently adjudicated as directly due or significantly contributed to by COVID vaccination. Two-thirds, right at 74%, could be connected of these deaths that were um, right after the vaccination was administered. Um, so th this is, <laughs> I mean, that's shocking. And that's one of the reasons I think this paper was buried, because it's revealing information that a lot of Americans think is true already. We don't know that it's true. And, and folks, the nature of research is this. You, you don't make decisions based on one paper. You make decisions based on the bulk of research once peer-reviewed that is published that you can go to and build a case. It's kind of like Legos, you know? This is, it, I, I, I told you, my grandchildren were here and we had Legos scattered all over the house. Well, the way you build something with Legos is that the blocks are designed to fit together until they make something. 
Research is like that. Each paper, each bit of information becomes a building block to build a case so that you can reach a conclusion and then look back at your information to determine if the structure that you've made to make a decision is sound. And so we, we don't, we, the last thing we should do is say, oh, this proves that vaccinations, and, and there are a lot of people that want to say that because they believe it already. You know, oh, well, I already believe it. I can tell you anecdotal stories. I, I know John, I know Joe, I know Jane, I know this person, that person. They got vaccinated and two weeks later they were dead. I've heard those stories. And I know that that a lot of them are, are true. And every death is a tragedy. But that is not evidence that you can build together to come to the truth about something. It takes research. This research, to me, appears to be valid. The only thing it's missing is peer review. It was going to get peer review. I guarantee it won't be peer reviewed now. I mean, once you pull a paper like that in less than 24 hours, there's only one reason you would do that, and that's to make sure it doesn't see the light of day anymore. And that's the thing that drives people crazy, drives me crazy. I want to know the truth. I want to know what's really going on. I mean, I can take it. The American people, we don't need to have the truth hidden from us like we're children that haven't reached the age where we can make rational, competent decisions. We need to have all of the information so we can decide whether we want to get a vaccine or not. You know, we were told in the beginning that if we got the vaccine, that it would keep us from getting COVID and keep us from spreading COVID. It was, there was even a time when you needed to show your vaccine card to be able to do certain things. And now we know that none of that, 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 that information is, is, is a lot of it was not true. What was labeled misinformation before by social media and by the media, legacy media in general, what was labeled misinformation, we now know was, was true when it comes to masking, when it comes to the vaccine, so many things. Um, and so this is what's made the American people as a whole very skeptical of scientific research and scientific information because we know that a lot of it has been manipulated, particularly as it relates to COVID. Um, now, the most implicated organ system in the vaccination associated with deaths, <laughs> I'm going to give you two guesses, uh, three guesses, and the first two don't count. It's the cardiovascular system. And we've known that COVID was related, COVID vaccines were related to a spate of enlarged heart muscles in young people. And now this research, 74% of 325 people that died after getting the COVID vaccine, that it could be linked, that, that the organ failure was linked to the cardiovascular system. The average time from vaccination to death, two weeks. When you look at the research in this paper, it says within 14 days of receiving the vaccination, the, the, and the, at least on average, people passed away. The paper stated that other urgent investigation is required to clarify their findings. I, I mean, I, th I think that's an understatement. Um, obviously, this because what, what's happening? People are still getting vaccinated. They're still getting boosters. And, and we don't know what the long-term effects are, 
Dr. Peter McCullough stated through Substacks that the Lancet censored the paper. Now, remember the name, Peter McCullough. He was one of the researchers. He said the Lancet censored the paper after a high volume of downloads. Studies have shown that since the beginning of the pandemic, there's been a decline in trust for health officials. Now, the quote from Peter McCullough ends with downloads. So, quote, the Lancet censored the paper after a high volume of, of, of downloads, end quote, from Peter McCullough. And we talked about that earlier, that uh, the, the reason is that the, the results don't match, don't match the narrative. So what do you do when you have a narrative that the facts don't, uh, don't back up? Well, you got to get rid of the facts because nobody's ready to get rid of their narrative once it's been established. So you've got all these people now that in, in America that don't trust health officials, scientists, or institutions like the CDC. And how can we trust them? How can, how can we trust the CDC when they put out information on chest feeding? Remember, we talked about that yesterday. I mean, no wonder people have lost confidence in these scientists and institutions. It's the same reason that we've lost confidence in the Justice Department, the FBI. Because we, we know that things are going on in all of those areas to protect a narrative. It's political bias. You know, I'm old enough to remember, because I've been alive for the last two years, that there was a lot of censorship relating to masks and vaccines. And like we said earlier, a lot of the stuff that was labeled as misinformation, we now know was absolutely true. So it's going to be interesting to see if we ever find anything, see anything else about this paper. My guess would be no. Harvard and Yale scientists, by the way, are currently studying a condition called long backs. In other words, we've heard of long COVID. They're looking at the possibility that the vaccines have long, uh, a, a, a long-time effect on some people's lives. Yale researcher Harlan Krumholtz said he was hesitant to participate in the research because, this is according to Daily Wire, by the way, because he didn't want the anti-vaccine movement to seize, to seize the findings and use them against the vaccine. But ultimately, he decided as a scientist, he had to keep an open mind. Well, golly, thank you, Dr. Krumholtz, for actually realizing that as a scientist, you're not supposed to create facts. You're, not, you're supposed to discover what's true and then publish it. And then let, and then let other people come along study the same thing that you studied and see if they can verify or if their studies challenge and the methodology they uses challenges your conclusions. That's the way it's supposed to work, folks. It doesn't work that way anymore, unfortunately. And that's why people have lost confidence. All right, I, I've got to talk about this story because I, it, it, it's, to me, um, I, Ben and Jerry's, I, I talked about the statement that they made um, just on July 4th, they, they put it out that, you know, America was stolen, that while we are here on July 4th celebrating, having barbecue, what, shooting off fireworks, you got to remember that what we're celebrating is a country that has stolen its land. So now um, National Review has got a response to this, and it's a good one by Rich Lowry. It's published today. I would, I would encourage you to go to National Review and read it. But um, and, and he acknowledges, and look, I acknowledge, there's no doubt 
that our dealings with Native Americans was characterized, as Rich Lowry says, by brutality, land hunger, and duplicity, and it's one of the stains on our country. I, there's, I'm not arguing that fact, but the statements by Ben and Jerry's that they are that that you know our national monument um, with the president's um, you know Mount Rushmore that it sits on land that was stoted from the Lakota tribe. Uh, I love what one of our congressmen tweeted out to Ben and Jerry uh, when they put out this. It was Andy Biggs, a Republican from Arizona. He asked Ben and Jerry on Twitter, will you commit to returning the land that you've made profits off of? Turns out that the company headquarters of Ben and Jerry's is in South Burlington, Vermont. And according to the National Park Service, it sits on land once inhabited by the um Abenaki tribe, that's it, the Abenaki tribe. And so I, I'm just wondering, instead of worrying about the Lakotas and worrying about our national monuments, how about maybe start, if you're going to, if you don't want to be hypocrites and you, you're going to criticize the country, how about starting by giving the land back to the Indians that your property sits on? Um, I, it, it's, it, it's just an incredible amount of duplicity here. Um, and it, it needs to be pointed out. Now, the Lakota, let, let, let's talk about stealing the land from the Lakota tribe. My question about that was, once we give it back to the Lakotas, let's just imagine that, which is unimaginable to me, but, but so let's get into fantasy land here for a second and say that we're going to give the land back to the Lakotas because they, we somehow believe this nonsense that we stole the land from them. Are the Lakotas going to give the land back to the people they stole it from? You realize there were a lot of Mexican people from Mexico. You got to remember that part of the Southwest was considered Mexican territory, and a lot of the people in that territory were Mexicans who were displaced by the Lakotas. And so I'm just wondering: are are they going to give the land back once we give it back to them to the people they stole it from? Elliot West in a book titled Continental Reckoning, the American West in the Age of Expansion, said that the advent of a horse culture among Native American tribes made the Great Plains and Southwest a killing field of warfare and disease. Two great coalitions, the Cheyennes, the Arapahoes, and the Lakotas, north of the Arkansas River, and the Comanches and the Kiowas, south of the Arkansas River, clashed bitterly until making peace in 1840, then both preyed on sedentary people on the fringes of the West. So you had devastating smallpox epidemics, slaughters, raids, counter-raids that were dismayingly routine features of the region that the United States is accused of stealing long before the United States was a contender. According to West, one reason so much Mexican land was there for the taking during the Mexican-American War was that it had been depopulated by constant Native American raiding. So, you know, we give the land back to the Lakotas. Are they going to give it back to the Mexican people? Are they going to give it back to other Native American tribes that were occupying that land before they were forcibly removed? As for the Lakota, they didn't take control of territory to the West through gentle persuasion, according to Rich Lowry. They gained control of the Black Hills in the late 18th century by, by expelling their prior occupants. And the history here doesn't neatly line up with Ben and Jerry's call 
for dismantling white supremacy and systems of oppression and ensuring that indigenous people can again govern their land, their communities called home for thousands of years. See, Ben and Jerry's and left-wing progressives in general take a complicated historical record history and they try to boil it down to Everybody who's white is mean and nasty, and we came here with the purpose of colonizing, and we didn't care who we hurt, who we killed, or who we drove off of their land. And that's just not true. The other part of it is, you know, oh, well, the Native Americans that were here, they were peaceful. They were loving people. They were even in dances with wolves. I mean, there's a scene in that movie uh, a big part of the movie was the clash between the Native Americans that Kevin Costner was with and those that wanted to come and kill them all. So this kind of stuff has been going on. And, and so the potted version here of Ben and Jerry, that this is just, you know, America's a bunch of meanies. And the, the fact is, a lot of the land that the federal government took was traded for, that there, it was exchanged for goods, that there were contracts drawn up. Now, hear me. A lot of those contracts were broken by the federal government. Lies were told to Native Americans. I'm not saying that that's not true. It is true. But it's only a part of the truth. When, when your argument is that the peaceful Native American people that were here before the greedy white supremacists showed up for westward expansion— is a false narrative. It completely ignores the condition of the tribal situation in the West before, long before Americans showed up. And all it's, all it's meant to do for Ben and Jerry is delegitimize the United States. And by the way, if Ben and Jerry hates the United States, they are multi, multi, they sold Ben and Jerry's for Northwood of $300 million dollars to a conglomerate. I mean, they started in, a, I think, a converted gas station selling ice cream as a couple of hippies. And then they turn out to be, you know, gazillionaires, we using Forrest Gump's analogy, and they did it all in a country that afforded them that opportunity. And then they turn around and despise the country that's made them gazillionaires and given them their bill, they don't have anything else to do, so they just sit around and write about how terrible America is from their, you know, private jets and their multi-million-dollar homes, which is a little bit hard to take, quite frankly. Um, final paragraph: the potted version of the nation's history favored by the likes of Ben and Jerry is meant to delegitimize the United States. Not only does it make the country's expansion a tale of unadulterated um, violence by malevolence, um, malevolence, what a word, uh, <laughs> the, the, but, but that it, the point that it was intentional violence against the people, but it also can't accommodate the reality of Native American peoples who practice self-interested, self-shifting diplomacy with one another and with Europeans and who constantly warred with one another and Europeans for land and hunting grounds, for honor and vengeance, and for captives to add to their numbers. You realize Native Americans practice slavery when they would capture or go in, if they didn't wipe out a, a competing tribe, they would take members of the tribe to serve them. Suffice it to say that no matter what their latter-day champions might wish, these people were definitely not politically correct. 
That's a great piece by Rich Lowry. And it pretty much takes apart Ben and Jerry, which makes me happy. I just it. All right, I want to end up today by talking a little bit a little bit about a psychology professor at the University of California, Berkeley, not exactly the fortress of conservative ideals and values, but Dr. Datcher Keltner has written a book, written a book and released it, and he talked to the New York Times about it. The book is titled All the New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. Now, this is coming from Breakpoint from the Colson Center, uh, which, by the way, I'm in the Fellows Program. Pretty excited about that. Uh, I've started my assignments this month, and hopefully for a year from now, I'll be a Colson Fellow, something I would treasure. But in any sense, um, listening to Breakpoint is part of the assignments for the Colson, if you're going to be a Colson Fellow. And this particular Breakpoint, talk, John Stone Street talks about what this professor says to the New York Times about the book. He recommended all walks, intentional time spent outside and focused on nature. He says this can inspire all that complex emotion we experience when encountering something so vast, here's the, here's the point, that our se- sense of self recedes. So in other words, go outside and think about something other than yourself. That's not exactly rocket science, Stone Street says, or anything new, but it's great advice. Making our sense of self recede is counter to the culture that we live in. We live in a me culture. It's all about me. It's about what I want. It's about what gender I want to be. It's about whether I want to do something. Do I want to work? Do I not want to work? Don't enter my space. You can't insult me. Everything's about me. But when we go out and encounter nature, the creation that God has given us as a gift, then our sense of self begins to recede and we find that contentment and meaning is turning outward and upward instead of inward. And I think that's a great formula for us to keep in mind. Um, You know, when uh, Stone Street goes on and talks about the Oklahoma University softball players, um, and, you know, the, this women's college, this year's women's collegiate Final Four NCAA, the OU players have won their fourth title in a row, and they were asked by an ESPN reporter how they maintained their joy amid fierce competition. And Grace Lyons, who's the captain of the team, said, "Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord." And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. Wow. You know what? <laughs> I, I, I remember Jesus' words when he was talking to a Gentile, uh, centurion, and he said, I, I haven't found wisdom like this in all of Israel. Jesus was amazed. I, I hear this from a college student, a young person, who is, you know, we're being told that young people don't believe in God. They don't have any interest in God. They have no interest in the eternal things, or they don't want to talk about church. And here's a, a, a Oklahoma University of Oklahoma softball player who very simply and succinctly puts out the real reason for happiness and contentment. It comes from the peace that passes understanding that Jesus promised. It doesn't come from circumstances and outcomes. Her teammate, Jada Coleman, said, We want to win, but it's not the end of the world if we lose. 
because our life is in Christ, and that's all that matters. Joy, in other words, Stone Street writes, comes from looking outward and upward, not inward. The beautiful world God created is a source of joy because it draws us outward. To paraphrase something John Piper once said, most people don't stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and think, wow, I am awesome. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, I promise you won't think that. Ultimately, starry nights, clever animals, and beautiful sunsets direct our thoughts upward. It's amazing to see the handiwork of the Lord, and it should cause us to let our sense of self diminish. I know it's time to wrap up the show, but let me just say that, you know, for a number of years, I was challenged when I was in seminary to come up with a life verse. And, you know, I, I, I really didn't know what to do. I thought about what it was going to mean that I was going to be living my life somehow in the public eye uh, as a pastor, as a leader, as a Christian leader. Um, I had no idea at that point I'd be doing radio or a podcast or anything like that or working at a Christian university. But the verse I chose was John 3.30. It's what John the Baptist said when Jesus came on the scene because Everybody thought John the Baptist was the Messiah. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, he must increase, I must decrease. Talking about his own life. And I've signed all of my communication, my emails when I send them out. I end up with he must increase, I must decrease to remind myself that it's not about me, it's about God. It's about Christ in me. And the more that I'm able to allow the awesomeness of God's creation to have an impact on me, the better off I'm going to be when it comes to my personal level of contentment and my understanding of my place in the universe. And that's something you can take with you today. Think about God today. Instead of thinking about yourself, think about the wonder of his creation, the, mag the majesty of it. And think about this most of all. He loved you so much that his only son came to this earth, suffered in an unbelievable way, and died on the cross that you might have redemption and eternal life. And he rose again to prove it's all true. God bless you. I'll see you in the morning. I'm actually alone tomorrow morning, Saturday. I'll see you Monday morning at 730. Don't forget to go get the podcast.